Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Hi everyone and uh, welcome to the Open Data Institute. It's our first ODI Fridays since summer, so thanks for coming along. Uh, I'm Hannah, I'm the Head of Marketing and Membership here at the ODI. And it's a real pleasure for me to welcome Henry here from Tech Nation uh, today who will be talking about uh, how uh, you've had to grow and adapt and use modern data teamwork. So I'd be really interested, I didn't mean to use double quotation marks there, I'd be really interested to know what you mean by that when uh, during your talk. Over to you. Thank you. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, ODI, for having me. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Uh, I'm Henry, um, Senior Insights Manager at TechNation, who, uh, for people in the room just up the road, um, we have a base on the Old Street Roundabout. Um, so I'm a data scientist working at all things kind of um, tech in the UK and further afield, everything from talent and skills through to investment, ecosystem analysis, clustering, that kind of thing. I kind of get down and dirty with data on a daily basis, which is really good fun. Um, my colleague on the front row in the room here um, is Lucy Cousins, um, our data design executive. Um, so a front-end developer who brings all of our data to life, so brings all of my, um, uh, my uh, reams and reams of, uh, of, of code and data and makes it pretty and nice and digestible. Um, so that's the two of us. Um, Throughout the next half, half an hour, um, the plan stand. Uh, a bit about us, which is kind of the obligatory, sorry, it might be slightly boring. Um, how we've previously tried to use data um, as an organisation and how we're doing it now way better um, and how we do all of our data stuff now. Um, the conditions that make us thrive today, and I mean that both kind of like internally and externally in trying to achieve our objectives and ensure that we're as collaborative as possible a bit about our pipeline of work, because there's quite a lot there now, and some community engagement stuff, um, which should be interesting, I hope. I've worn my statement trousers, because I'm very excited to be here today, so uh, uh, I hope it is enjoyable. Um, tech Nation um, is the government-backed industrial body for the tech sector here in the UK. Um, we receive a block grant, much like the ODI do, from the government, and then that's topped up with various bits of corporate sponsorship um, and private sector money as well. Um, so our plan is to make the UK the best place to be a um, digital tech entrepreneur. Um, big statement. Um, how do we do that? So we have a series of um, accelerated programs for um, businesses of all different stages, everything from one to two founders all the way through to a large, large scaling company turning over millions and millions of pounds a year, delivery, etc. Um, so we have seven of those now. Excuse me. Research and Insight, which is where myself and Lucy come in. So we uh, have now have a thriving team um, looking at both the UK and the international um, tech sector, provide editorial and news, and we also have a visa programme. So we endorse um, the Home Office's Tier 1 Exceptional Talent Visa. Um, so we have 1,200 a year. Um, the Tech Nation Report, which is something that lots of people have heard about, um, and if you haven't, you should have, um, is uh, an annual State of the Union on tech, um, which uh, Tech Nation and previously, as we were known, Tech City UK and Tech North was something that we were known, about, known for very much. Um, so previous iterations, we start, that started in 2015. We recently released the 2018 report, which I'll touch upon a little bit. But that is certainly something that was very important. So, making the UK the best place to be a tech entrepreneur with data. 
So that is quite a bold statement, um, quite a lot to do there. So meet our stakeholders. We have lots of them, as I'm sure the ODI does. Um, so we have entrepreneurs, local local enterprise partnerships, local government, national government, school leavers, those looking for a tech job, career changers, all sorts, all sorts of people. Um, and trying to please them all is quite difficult. However, we can leverage our data to ensure that they are as well-informed as possible. And I think that's really, really important. Um, so breaking that down, um, we kind of loosely got into... We've got these kind of four key categories that I've uh, brought out. So we have entrepreneurs and ensuring that they're well-informed in the UK environment, making sure they're setting up in the right place, hiring the right talent, being ahead of the curve, looking at market intelligence, who their competitors are, that kind of thing. Corporates and investors, so corporates who've heard about this thing called tech and want to get involved in the party. So we can help with that. How do they engage with tech startups in the UK? How do they ensure that they also can ensure, can, can uh, drive forward progress and innovation? And investors, obviously, who want an investment pipeline. Government, very important. A large part of our money comes from there as well. I'm ensuring government policy is ripe for the, uh, for the UK um, tech sector. Um, both at all levels, local. We've recently been speaking to um, on a European stage as well. And then the general public, which is something that I think Tech Nation hasn't previously looked at um, as much as we would have liked, but ensuring that actually those looking for a career in tech is really important. We run something called the Digital Business Academy. You should go check it out. It's free, um, which is a series of online courses about digital entrepreneurship. Um, and that's something that we, very, that we do for the general public. So... Leveraging, leveraging data at Tech Nation. Um, we have really built out our insight function. Um, I'll speak about our staff shortly, but this is now kind of where we are at. So we have the Tech Nation report, which is a yearly international audit of UK tech and with an international angle as well. So a comparison, everything from talent and skills all the way through to investment. We also dive deep into things such as Meetup, GitHub repositories, um, stack overflow questions and looking at the kind of like emerging trends in worldwide tech. Um, so it's a really, really mammoth piece. The research objectives are as long as my arm. Um, it's got a huge number of stakeholders and, uh, stakeholders and is really seen as, um, as, a, as also a political tool in order to kind of promote UK tech and how it is. So that has always taken place. However, since we have now created our team, We've really built out our functions. So we have monthly insight pieces and actually blog even more regularly than that on everything from talent, investment, clustering. This week, we published a blog looking at the gap in investment um, between uh, male and female founders and how there's a huge median difference, around £200,000. So a good example there. Uh, myself and Lucy in the front row here um, are currently building a series of dashboards based on the UK labour market and job adverts from Adzuna. Um, so that all fits into that category. Then we have commercial partnerships. So we're now taking on strategically placed um, insight projects that fit with our commercial aims and also the strategic aims of the organisation. We're not into producing PDFs that will sit on a shelf forever. We want things that are actionable, accessible and web first. So we've recently taken on projects with the Liverpool City Region Combined Authority to look at skills demand within the city. Um, we're currently looking at emerging technological trends in Europe with Cognizant. Um, and we're also working with the local government in uh, Jersey, um, looking at their tech sector there. 
There are more things in that pipeline. Watch this space. They're all very exciting. And then non-commercial partnerships. So Data.World, who um, sponsor these series of lectures. Um, I was recently lucky enough to go and spend three weeks in Austin with them, um, looking at artificial intelligence trends globally and how that, um, how that works. And whilst that is, um, that's a mutually beneficial partnership as well, but without the exchange of money in the same way. Capital Enterprise, right here in London, we've been looking at diversity and inclusion. Um, so yeah, it's whole breadth of things. The Tech Nation report um, often was something that basically that was synonymous with Tech City UK, our previous name, and Tech North. However, we want to go beyond that. There is now so much more that we can provide in a bespoke, more micro, um, micro form. Um, and it is not just about this single report that we produce every year. Previously, I think it's fair to say also that the Tech Nation report was very static, closed methodologically, um, and also perhaps missed out some of the nuances of UK tech. We're trying to change that and produce a year-long insights programme. So, we have now made a commitment that all of our data is open, wherever legally and practically possible. Um, and all of it is hosted on data.world. Um, big thanks to the ODI and the ODI leads for helping with that. That was really important. And also web first. So we don't produce reports in a PDF format anymore. Um, everything is driven by JavaScript products, so we have a series of uh, visualizations online and people can play with them like that. So you can either consume in a kind of, on a nice clean web page with a series of JavaScript driven visualizations, or if you're interested in the actual raw open data underneath, um, you can do it that way. So, all of that and changing from a pretty standing still um, Tech Nation report, which was largely outsourced into what we have today. So it's really quite difficult, a bit like this cat climbing up a mountain. Really quite a big thing to do, lots to do there. So cat climbing up Mount Everest, big thing. However, and this was the team in 2016. This was uh, the extent of the Tech Nation or Tech City UK Insights team in 2016, Tumbleweed. Um, previously, all of this research was often outsourced and taken out into a partnership organisation such as Nesta. Um, which had some quite serious implications in terms of uh, knowledge and retaining that knowledge internally, uh, financially, and also trying to innovate internally within the organisation. So, the team today, how have we changed from the tumbleweed into today? So, on your left-hand side, we have George Windsor, who is Insights Lead here at the organisation. Um, so, he used to work for Nesta, um, and was originally a qualitative um, researcher and now oversees everything from our pipeline of work all the way through to actually um, performing analysis on the ground. Francesca, who is our ecosystem insight specialist, um, qualitative researcher, she um, knows the tech ecosystem like the back of her hand, has contacts everywhere. Myself, excuse me, Lucy, um, who's in the room here today, our data design executive, um, Lucy uh, was a school leaver um, a couple of years ago, did Code First Girls and came and worked for us as a front-end developer, which is great. And Sarah, who is no longer with us, unfortunately, she has moved on to Pastures New, but our freelance data scientist, we have sometimes retained on a project-by-project -project basis. So that's our team. Um, five people, um, which going from zero two years ago was um, really quite something. And the fact that we've managed to make it a well-oiled machine that works really quite nicely and produces good, accessible, actionable insight. We're something we're really proud of. Um, so why the change? Because we had nothing. 
um, except for a checkbook and please can you do this for us. And now we've got a really kind of like workable, interesting in-house team. So data-driven advocacy is ubiquitous. It's incredibly important. Um, more and more so you're seeing uh, organisations that used to outsource lots and lots of um, research and data, bringing it client-side and ensuring that you retain the knowledge internally. Um, previous to this job, I worked at a university in the north of England, just, um, just east of Liverpool, um, and there was, um, they, they created a, a data and insights team at a similar time, um, mainly because they felt that they weren't getting the bang for their buck by taking it out. Um, it does provide a platform for all our other activities. All of our, um, all of our uh, accelerator programs, the data that we provide internally to them like, provide, gives them a foundation in which they can, they can go from there and uh, target the right companies. For instance, um, we've recently been doing call-outs for our, um, our early-stage company call-outs. I've been querying the company's house API to get every single company that is remotely eligible for that in the UK. Um, and it's been a really innovative technique, and we've managed to get 12,000 unique companies that could attend that accelerator program. Um, knowledge retention, I think that's really important. Previously, we were taking, um, we were taking work, and we were outsourcing it. Um, and then that person said, see you later, or I'm going on holiday, etc., etc. I don't want to work with you again. And they were never there again. Um, it's financially very efficient. Obviously, they were, they were high startup costs, but actually it's really made itself work in the, um, in the future. It makes it repeatable and scalable. I think that's the most important thing, is the fact that we're no longer creating insight in these cross-sectional silos, so a tech nation report every year. Actually, there was joined-up thinking. We've made all the data open so that you can now bring it together on year-by-year -year basis, provide longitudinal analysis, that kind of thing. Um, and... We're in demand, and I think that's understandable, and so it, therefore it's scalable. Um, Reporting-wise, I've already touched on it, JavaScript-driven visualizations, so we no longer produce PDFs. All the data's open. Topics are changing, um, and actually, we're really starting to use some of the really interesting web-based techniques and using web-based data, much like the ODI are, and... Um, Analysis is all in-house. So we actually now have full control over the methodology, something that previously was quite tricky for the organisation. Um, we would publish a report and someone would query it and there wasn't actually, but we didn't have the necessary know-how internally to be able to, um, to, provide, to back up and substantiate our point of view because that had not been completed in-house. Um, saved on the, on the dollar... And we're developing staff enormously. I've certainly benefited massively from being in a small but growing team, uh, giving a huge amount of autonomy. Um, I think that's really important. So, the team. George, again, George does the, the qual and the overall, and some quant, kind of mixed methods. Cheska, purely a qual researcher. Me, mainly a quant, doing lots of programming with it. Um, Lucy does our, our wonderful and, and pretty visualizations. Um, so, I think it's, well, it's worth saying, like, we've, we've managed to attract five members of staff. I mean, I'm one of them. Five, uh, four members of staff, permanent staff, and we're about to have a new one to the organization. Um, so, and we know we, on a daily basis, we're analyzing the labor market. That is our roles. We know how tough it is to try and um, retain and attract people in this area. So, um, we get really good autonomy. I think that's really important. 
uh, it's fruitful and interesting data. It's not just trying to optimize a website to sell fridges. We are actually at the cutting edge of um, uh, looking at talent and skills in the UK where there are acute talent shortages. We are looking at where the next wave of kind of like emerging technology are going to be. I mean, which cities in Europe they're going to be. Um, we are looking at some of the most interesting clustering methods that we have, um, the geographical clustering methods that I've ever seen. Um, also, we get really good exposure to, to policy. And it's probably much like researchers here at the ODI. We, we, we have a direct line with DCMS and other organisations, uh, other departments in government. And we've been regularly training the Treasury and the Cabinet Office. Um, and that's both rewarding and interesting. Um, and learning and development, we've really diversified our network as well in terms of um, research and other research organisations and ensuring there's a kind of like flow there. So I spent lots of time with the ODI, um, with Nesta as well, Centre for Cities, um, and the ODI in Leeds, trying to ensure that best practice is maintained. Um, our project backlog, um, so we have a kind of quarterly planning session. So this is how we work out exactly what we're going to do. Um, because we really need to prioritise now. So we have a quarterly planning based on like the internal commercial needs. So the internal needs come first. We were, we were here to excuse me, serve um, entrepreneurs in the UK, and that's what we're tasked with. So the internal needs are there first. However, with their spare capacity, the commercial needs certainly come in, and we are now able to strategically pick these, pro these projects based on what is going to both benefit entrepreneurs and other users in the UK and also be interesting for us as researchers and as an organisation. So we do that, we scope, and we look at what we could do, methods, that kind of thing. We have a series of objectives from a customer, someone internal, external, and we scope out our methods from there. We have backlog planning, which I'll come on to in a minute, and then we do the research, exclamation mark. So, wonderful, agile, Everyone's, everyone wants to be agile, very, very sexy, very cool. Um, so, we try to adopt Agile practices, um, but we do it kind of in our own way. Um, I was always taught, yeah, Agile, not a methodology, not a theory. It's actually just kind of like a, a set of ways of working, and that's kind of how we work with it. Because um, I think lots of organisations, when they say they're Agile, they actually look a bit like this. So, like, pretending to be Agile, and they're kind of not. Um, so, yeah. So, actually, we're Agile, we have daily stand-ups, etc., but uh, heavily burdened by email... Um, laborious decision-making, um, quite inflexible um, processes, that kind of thing. And um, as a unit of five, we've actually really tried to make it our own and just adopt what works for us and what doesn't. So um, Gromit was always given to me as the best example of an agile project, kind of just in time, working exactly to... Um, Thinking on, um, thinking on their feet, uh, got clear kind of like destination in mind, et cetera, et cetera. So this is what we try to do as an insights team. It doesn't always work. And it's got to be noted, we aren't a software team and we're not just building products. We also have internal needs. Um, so, and there are internal needs of the organisation on us. So we work on a basis that we have roughly six, um, six hours a day that we can devote to research and insight. The other an hour and a half is spent on meetings and also internal demands on us. So helping someone with some data manipulation, um, sorting out someone with a kind of writing a SQL query, that kind of thing. Um, and those other six hours are devoted to our project backlog, be it a commercial project, 
a non-commercial partnership project or something like the Tech Nation report or a talent report. Um, we use Trello, as many people do. Um, but, I mean, I've got albeit short career so far. Um, I've never worked in a research team where we've adopted this kind of, um, uh, um, this kind of uh, approach. It's very used to kind of waterfall project management, um, having a very rigid set of goals, a Gantt chart, that kind of thing. And actually working in... Well, the rule is you can't have anything on here that is going to take more than four hours, you think. Um, and we work on week-long sprints, so we don't have two-week sprints, which would be usual in a kind of software development team. Um, we always have a debrief on a, on a Friday afternoon. Uh, we try to co-locate as much as we can. Um, Lucy uh, is based up in Sheffield. And myself, George and Cesco are based down in London. Um, but we try to meet uh, kind of once or twice um, every couple of weeks. Um, there's full visibility here, and everyone can see what's going on. Um, culturally, it was quite easy to embed because we actually, before, two years ago, there was nothing. So it wasn't though there were a load of previous practices that we were having to change. This was just the way we did it. Um, we were very lucky we got some agile training as well, um, which worked very well. Um, and yeah, this is kind of ongoing. So um, you see our pr current projects, Digital Jersey, we've got a jobs dashboard, Cognizant. Um, and yeah, it's something that is constantly discussed and, uh, and um, works very well for us. Although we are, as it's very cool to say, always innovating. Um, so our data pipeline. Um, again, I've never worked somewhere where it has this kind of like clear transparency on where we're going. Um, we don't generally collect any data ourselves um, uh, from people directly um, in a kind of like primary research interviewing um, you know, survey interviewing, that kind of thing. Um, so I'm on the secure research track at the ONS, so I go into the laboratory. We get a lot of data from the Office for National Statistics. We have, now have a really, really good um, relationship with them. Um, that was mainly for this year for the Tech Nation report, but we have other uses for it. Um, so, for instance, uh, in the past, when the Tech Nation report was published, we outsourced all of the analysis from the ONS um, to some, another organisation that had access to the laboratory. The beauty of bringing in researchers in-house is that we could do the training and pass the security clearance and go into the ONS laboratory. Um, we use a lot of open APIs online and a bit of scraping using things like Beautiful Soup, the Python package and library. Um, we try and utilise open data as much as possible. Um, some of the most interesting open data we've been working with recently is from Stack Overflow. Um, who rather than an API, they've just got a SQL compiler, so you can just query all of their back posts, questions, upvotes, downvotes, all that kind of stuff. Really, really interesting. Um, Eurostat there, I've put that logo more as a kind of catch-all for all sorts of agencies worldwide. Um, I'm an R developer, mainly. I dabble in a bit of Python, where Beautiful Soup and things like that come into play. Um, I love R, I think it's beautiful. Um, anyway, uh, so we do most of our analysis using R. Um, everything from just pivoting data, running some, dis some descriptors through to kind of machine learning. Um, it's great. We're currently exploring some cloud options as well. So um, my MacBook Pro is currently feeling the strain, I think it's fair to say, on a, in a desktop setting. So we're looking at getting some kind of cloud instance of R Studio going, something similar. I've been asking the Twitter sphere on different, uh, different ideas. Anyway all part of being a scaling team. Um, and then finally, so that's the kind of analysis end, and then you go through to consumption by either people 
um, in an academic setting or just the general public. So we have all of our lovely visuals that Lucy creates, um, kind of D3 and that kind of thing, different charting libraries, and then data.world for people who want to write some queries or play with a CSV or attach it to Tableau or something like that. So we have all of those. However, um, data.world, is. Uh, I think we need to pause on that for a minute because actually data.world is throughout this entire thing. We, um, we, for a long time, and me and Lucy, we've had lots of conversations about this, how, how should we store our information? Um, because they, it came to about January when we were starting and we were kind of on our scaling uh, we were, yeah, we just employed a, a, uh, all four of us, all five of us at the time. And we were working with all sorts of disparate data sets. And I, I just said one day, oh gosh, I'm so stressed. There are so many Google Sheets everywhere. There are so many kind of disparate databases everywhere. And actually, um, what we did was we just used data.world. So we use that now as a central point um, of uh, as essentially a lightweight database. Um, it's got a SQL compiler on the front end, and you can connect it. I can connect it to R very, very easily. And it just acts as a central point for all of our data and all of our version control, in the same way we use Git for all of our software and all of our code. Um, which means that we don't have to maintain some kind of like really, really... I, I mean, there have been one or two things we've had to have on AWS there, uh, when, we, when things have got really, really big. Um, so I had uh, uh, something that was a few... Uh, over the 20 gig mark, and that had to go on AWS. But actually, data.world does suit our needs quite well for the time being, um, and also works perfectly with open, uh, making data open. Um, it means that we don't have to have some database administrator looking like this cat all the time by maintaining uh, a, a database, because um, that would be, well, drain on resources, and actually, data.world is really quite a nice, lightweight solution, so that we don't, we're not constantly trying to maintain um, something in the background. Um, so, uh, it works perfectly for us, um, and, and we love it. We love it. I, I'm a big, big um, believer. So, we were also in a very, very lucky position as an organisation. So, we'd, we've recruited um, this team, of which I'm part of, but actually, we also made use of the internal tech capability we already have. So, also in the room here in Shoreditch are... Paul and Anne-Marie, who are um, uh, developers working at TechNation, so um, who work on some of our own our digital products, um, maintain some of our websites, that kind of thing. Um, and that has been invaluable for us as an insights team at this kind of juxtaposition between tech and research. Again, something I've never really come across, and I'm really pleased for it. So... Whilst the tech team are in charge of version control, digital products, website, actually, we have learned so much from them. We've managed to scale and um, economies of scale, basically, between the two. Um, I think that's really important. Uh, things like just like effective use of GitHub and having a staging area on a website to experiment with and, oh, I don't know how to do this bit in JavaScript. Please, can you help? That has been absolutely invaluable and really, really... Um, great for us professionally. Um, I realise we're in quite a unique setting. Lots of, um, say, think tanks, research institutes aren't, um, don't have that, aren't afforded that, um, that privilege. Um, but yeah, we also, we're always advocating for, uh, for innovative talent and uh, uh, recruitment processes. So actually, we're trying to eat our own dog food. So, uh, so um, uh, I've, 
I'm, I'm a very young data scientist. Um, well, probably not actually anymore, but anyway. So I, I was someone took they took a punt on me um, back in the day. Uh, Lucy uh, was a school leaver, having done co-first girls. Um, Cheska, um, another one of our colleagues, Francesca, um, uh, kind of I suppose pivoted her career internally and uh, learned and upskilled to be a, become a qualitative researcher. Um, and actually. The alignment with our values and kind of being curious and motivated is something that was just as much the driver for recruitment um, as credentials. Um, so, opening up the data, um, for some people, it was a bit like in the words of Eminem, cleaning out your closet, because actually many, many um, past reports have been published, and I think there'd been a lot of scrutiny around methodologies, findings, results. And actually, for many people, they looked a bit like this when I said that we should open up our data. They were incredibly scared about it. Um, it was a very daunting, um, daunting prospect. Um, you know, what if we're wrong? What if we can't control the story? Um, what if we don't necessarily uh, like the findings? That kind of thing. Um, but we managed to win that battle, um, which was great. And actually, one of the best things has been the community. We would not have opened up our data had it not been for the ODI helping us. Um, definitely not. And showing how it could be done and how it actually would be beneficial both for us as an organisation and also for the wider community. Um, the repository for, data, uh, for the Tech Nation Report 2018 has now had 20,000 views online for people all over the world. Um, both academics and in kind of business settings being used. Kind of, we've had people finishing PhDs, um, people who just want to... Uh, the government used all the open data. I believe Bayes used all the open data to justify opening of a new office in Bristol. So there's huge, huge um, appetite for it and, uh, and uh, benefits. Um, and actually, we really like friends. So uh, we've got lots of friends now. Um, and we've made lots of friends by having all that data open. Um, so, some of the kind of, a few of the organisations that we've, um, we've worked with, obviously the ODI here, um, Nesta, IPPR, um, Oxford Internet Institute, very, very interesting organisation. Um, Universities UK, that's more of a kind of catch-all, I've just, I know it's not factually correct, but catch-all for lots of universities. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, um, and that has been that's been brilliant, both for kind of like innovation and trying to um, trying to get the most out of our data, um, and also it's made us far more open as an organisation. And we've been having far more far more meetings even with um, with these organisations. Um, going forward, um, we so we're about to recruit a new member of staff, an insights analyst. Um, so we'll then have five of us. Um, our insights backlog keeps growing. Um, I think we may have to look at some more um, scalable kind of data storage solutions. Whilst data.world is brilliant, I think we may need to look at something a bit more hardcore. Um, particularly as we look at using kind of social media data and Twitter listening and that kind of thing. Because then you get into the kind of billions of rows rather than millions of rows. Um, and uh, we look forward to completing the Tech Nation report next year. That's our big highlight next year. Um, and hoping to have a bit more of an international focus, more so than it did this year. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure being here. Thank you very much. Thank you to the ODI. Um, and thank you all for coming. OK, 
Okay, it's time for questions. Just a reminder, uh, if you've got any questions from the live stream, it's hashtag ODI Fridays. Um, I've got one to kick us off. Thank you. Uh, just to get started. Um, with such a small team and such a big range of stakeholders, how do you know, how do you kind of prioritise where to focus your work? Yeah, so... Um I mean, government always is something that we're that we're we're conscious of, and that's also always something um, we know that they are ultimately ultimately making the policy that influences the market. So I think they're always our priority um, in terms of urgency. However, um, we're here for the benefit of the UK economy and um, for entrepreneurs here, so we wouldn't necessarily not um, uh, not prioritise a particular stakeholder. Opening it up and making our data open has brought a whole new range um, of people interested, um, particularly from the academic sphere, and that's been something that's been really interesting, slow stroke hard to manage because there's just a constant stream of queries for all of our data. Um, I normally, on a practical level, sit down on a Friday afternoon and basically just do, deal with all the backlog of, of questions around the open data. Um, and mainly, um, we kind of like funnel it all into me because I'm the big advocate of data, of, 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 of open within the team. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, does that kind of, yeah. <laughs> How do you then go and communicate your focus to your many stakeholders? Um, so I think it all comes back to our values as an organisation. So um, the entrepreneurs are always at the, at the centre of it, and I think that is communicated quite well. That we all, it always stems from the entrepreneur, um, and therefore the company's there. Um, and I, I think that's testament to the number of programmes that we run for entrepreneurs, and the, um, yeah, and how even think coming down to things like Digital Business Academy, how that is all focused in on the entrepreneur, and that we are now. We're almost um, bringing that their views into government at the, on the at the coalface on the ground across the UK. Do we have any questions from? Yeah, yeah. Could you just re uh, introduce who you are as well? Great. Hi. Thanks for the chat. It's okay. It won't amplify. Um, the thanks for the chat. Uh, I'm Tim Rawlins. I'm a senior advisor for NCC Group, a cybersecurity company. Um, I'm interested. You just talked about granting other people access to your data. Given that you've said you're not the originator of that data, why are you having to act as that middleman? Why aren't you just effectively just signposting back to where you got it? Mm -hmm. So, when I say our data, I probably, yeah, um, the data that was originally, originally from, say, the ONS, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, mainly because actually outsourced, these kind of data, this data isn't particularly accessible to the general public. Um, so, for instance, the Office for National Statistics, um, in order to get all of the information that is currently on the repositories online, you have to have security clearance um, and go on a training course to go into the laboratory, um, either in London or in Newport. Um, and so that obviously isn't particularly um, easy if you're just completing a master's or an undergraduate degree. Many PhD researchers will. Or even if you're just interested in where's the best place to go and have a tech job in the UK. Um, so on the ONS level, that's that's quite um, that's the reason there. Um, from web-based data, again, um, as much as APIs are easily accessible if you're a programmer, if you're um, if you're not particularly uh, digitally literate, um, 
accessing an open API can be quite a daunting project um, and daunting task, and having something that's just easy accessible there um, is useful and something that democratizing information, really. I've got another one. <laughs> um, so uh, you've mentioned that obviously you have your open data on data.world. Can you give some example of any interesting data sets you have on there and any examples of anyone who might have taken those data sets and done interesting things with them themselves? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Uh, so our biggest and uh, most uh, our best used repository on data.world is the TechNation report from this year. Um, so examples of, of yeah we've had loads of people that mark the project. Um, somebody pulled out all of the growth um, statistics for employment and turnover in the UK tech turnover, looking at places that are on the up digitally and on the down digitally. Um, and that's certainly that was one of the most interesting things I saw as a kind of bit of um, iterative research, if you might call it. Um, so that was completed um, by a PhD researcher up in Edinburgh, um, and certainly something that we've uh, we've also used as an organisation then elsewhere. So you can see Cardiff and Edinburgh are basically the two fastest growing digital hubs in the UK at the moment. Um, and that was all based on research done by another researcher using our data that was open. Um, uh, yeah, what was the second bit of the question? Sorry, was there a second bit? Oh, oh great, yeah. wonderful, <laughs> thank you. We do have another question. Cool. Hi, me again. Um, I'm interested in what you're doing to secure the data, given that a lot of it will be used to train artificial intelligence if yeah. you've got big enough data sets. And how are you ensuring that it's not being poisoned? It's, a, it's an issue that we're facing in other data sets where there is deliberate targeting and poisoning of data sets, which can then affect the AI, which can then affect the greater mm -hmm. decision-making. Um, so in terms of... Hmm... Not something that we've necessarily thought about ourselves. Um, perhaps something that we should do. Um, yeah, I think I think we we we're aware. We always held something. Um, whenever we collect at source, um, we we'll always um, we always check and just run some descriptors on an entire data set to ensure that it's kind of coming out as one would expect. Um, and so there is a there, there is um, quality assurance at all at all stages. I'm always careful to do that. And I think us as a team, we are always there. Um, we uncover we have uncovered a couple, particularly working with APIs. We've uncovered a few that doesn't look right kind of things going on, um, particularly on the Meetup platform. Um, I'd never heard of it kind of described as poisoning, but yeah, 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 yeah. And so I think running some descriptors straight away, there obviously will be more sophisticated and more subtle things that are going on in terms of uh, deliberately tampering with data. Um, I think also time is something that will help. If you are using, as we start to do more and more longitudinal analysis, having an understanding of... Uh, of trends and what is what could be what what theoretically could be could uh, could a value take um, that isn't like completely out there um, will give us a good idea. Um, but version control wise, we keep everything also a copy of everything locally as well um, and internally at the organisation, so that we're not just having everything open to the world online. As great as that is. Yeah. 
more questions? Okay, I've got one to finish up with. Thank you. Um, for organisations, so you obviously work for lots of entrepreneurs who will be looking to scale up and who might be starting with one person and turning into five in the same time scale. What one piece of advice, crucial advice, I'm going to put you on the spot, would you give for making that more of a successful transition? Okay. Um, always think about the bigger picture. Um, actually, uh, we've come across a lot of obstacles, particularly tech ob obstacles that have... Um, that have that stifled our growth and stifled our projects and that kind of thing. Um, particularly looking at our uh, w things like testing environments and that kind of thing. Um, but actually having a week by week plan, but always in with with your mind of going to where we're heading. So like for us, it's having a steady stream of commercial projects, and as long as we we can th figure out a way to get there, that is probably that that that's that's the most important thing for us. Um, so yeah, think about the bigger picture. Not don't get bogged down, and always try to innovate as well. So don't just say, "Okay, I'm we're just too busy to be able to try something new." Actually, that's really really important, and certainly something that we've benefited from. Great, thank you, thanks, thank Henry. You. Um, just to finish up, we don't have a lunchtime lecture um, next week, but we do have one the following week, which is Carl Mullamud from Public Resource talking about making knowledge more broadly available on the internet. So uh, please do watch the live stream and come and join us for that. Uh, we also have, as you've done some sales pushes as part of the talk, I thought I would, we've also got some tickets remaining for the ODI Summit that's happening on the 20th of November. So if you go to our website, theodi.org, you can buy tickets there. And uh, can we give uh, Henry a big round of applause? Thank you. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture. Brought to you by the Open Data Institute.